What time is it? Great. What time is it? All right, if you weren't here two weeks ago, you don't know what I'm doing, but that's fun anyway. Actually, backstage today, we, we said it was bacon time, because uh, Waters family is fixing breakfast for us back there, and they have an affinity for pork products. So either way, it's a good day, bacon time or church time, am I right? I, I want to explain to you a little bit about what's happening with our schedule, just what's getting ready to go on. Welcome, we're glad you're here. If you're not from us normally, you're visiting, we're glad to have you here. Uh, we've been doing a couple of series kind of in a row about our vision and mission and the things that we're doing around here, and I wouldn't normally do that, we'd probably break things up a little bit, but starting the weekend after next, September 22nd, 23rd, we're getting ready to launch into the story, and uh, it's going to take us for 32 weeks, we're going to go through the entire Bible for 32 weeks. So I did the cannon, I did the tattoo series about our mission and who we're supposed to be, and we're doing a little cannonball reset for last week, today, today and next week, so that we can kind of have everything ready, because for, for 32 weeks, we're not going to have a chance to stop and talk about growth issues or talk about vision or talk about any of that kind of stuff. So we wanted to do all that stuff up front. So I'm going to tell you a little bit more about Cannonball and talk about biblical stewardship a little bit today. But before we get into that, I just want to tell you that you need to make the story a priority. I want you to be inviting people first and foremost. It's a great opportunity. The spiritual hunger in the world is out there today. People want to know, even if they don't believe the Bible, they want to know how it all goes together and how it all works. And for 32 weeks, literally, we're going to take, I mean, one week in there is going to be Christmas for Christmas. Christmas Eve, we're going to go all the way through the Bible and just kind of show you the big picture of the Bible, and we've got a lot of resources, and it's going to be amazing. Our kids are going to be doing it, back in the kids' area. Uh, our student ministry, senior high is on Tuesday night, junior high is on Wednesday night. I don't know how, they had that kickoff this last week. We had 280 high school kids there for the high school thing. I don't know how many junior high kids we had. I didn't get to come to that, but I mean, great programs, and they're going to go through the story. Everybody's going to go through the story at the same time, so uh, I, I want to just encourage you to do that, get your stuff put together, uh, because you got to understand this thing. you got to understand the Bible. And one of the things that you're going to understand about the Bible is how much partnership there is in the Bible. I mean, we are Christians. We believe we're saved by the grace of God and not because of anything that we have done. But there is a partnership in the Bible that you will see, especially in the Old Testament. As a matter of fact, basically the theme of the Old Testament is follow me because I know what your life should look like. And if you go your own way, you're going to have a big mess. All right, that's the theme of the Old Testament. You can just come back, you know, New Year's Day now if you want to and not even skip all of it because what's going to happen is we're going to see story after story of people who go, oh, I'm following God and everything's going really well. And then they're going to go, oh, I'm not going to follow God and everything's not going to go well. That's pretty much the theme of it. Jesus said it this way, enter through the narrow gate for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many find it and many enter through that one. But small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life and only a few find it. Okay? There's a partnership that's going to happen here. And you're going to hear a lot about that in the next few weeks and months. Um, a lot of that partnership has to do with this little thing you've got in your purse or your pants right now. Your wallet. A lot of it has to do with money. Okay? And it's hard to understand that the Bible has a lot of great things to say about money because you think, well, what does the Bible know? The Bible's in this old 2,000 year old book. What do they know about money? Plus, a lot of us weren't raised with a good, healthy image of how to handle our money because we had parents like Mitchie and Edie. Hey, 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 sleepyhead. Wake up, wake up, wake up. Wake up, baby, you wake up. I keep telling you, don't call him baby. You always be mommy's baby. 
You won't. You won't. Listen. Listen here. Uh, you've been on the couch here, watching TV all night, but we need to have a little talk, all right? Just a little talk. A little money talk. We need to nip a few things in the bud before... Don't you talk to your mother that way, young man. How many times have I told you not to do that? We can do this the easy way, or we can do it the hard way. It's your choice. Look, there's some things we need to go over, because it's basically essentially like this. Don't do as we do, do as we're about to say. Yes, do as we say, not as we do. I typed up some financial advice for you that you need to have before you move out and live on your own, which I hope, thank the Lord, is going to be sooner than later. Oh, he doesn't mean that. I do mean that. I said it. I mean that. I mean that. You can always move back home, baby. The first thing that will help you with your finances is having your own money, all right? You need to get a job. Your father's right. You need a job. What? No, working for your uncle at the flea market was not a real job. It was a real job. He was going to pay him. He was. <laughs> he was fired. He fired him the first day. It wasn't fair. You were just texting mommy, weren't you, baby? <sighs> the next thing is a budget. To manage your finances, you need a budget. You do. You need a budget. What? Uh, what'd you just say to us? What about our finances? All right. They're a mess. Yeah, they're a mess. They are. Our finances are a mess. <laughs> yeah, but they've been a mess our whole lives. We just spend too much money. You don't just fix that in one day. You just don't. We were going to use the money that Grandpa left us to pay things off. That's but... right. We were even going to write a big check to our favorite charity, Pets Without Partners. But after we bought the boat and the RV... And the leather recliner with the Cubs logo. Oh, and don't forget the Dale Earnhardt ATV. Well, after that, there just wasn't enough money left over. We're trying to help you, all right? So just do as we say. Not as we do. Next, you need to watch your spending. You waste every cent you get. And that's got to stop at some moment. You need to be more responsible with your money, young man. You don't save anything. You spend all your money on games for that... PS90 or DX or whatever it is. It's a DS, Mitchie. I got it on the QVC. Whatever. What I'm trying to say is that you Mitchie, need to... Mitch, can you hurry it up a little bit? I gotta go check my bids on eBay. All right, all right, all right. Well, the last thing is... Uh, well, there's a whole list of things here. But I could go to uh, credit cards. Go ahead. Tell them about credit cards. Do not use credit cards, baby. They'll just... Well, I know. I know I buy things on credit, but I didn't get... You, you know, if I could go back and never start, I wouldn't. I'm trying to quit. I consolidated all my Amazon accounts. I've got five Visa cards I'm trying to pay off right now. It's like living in a never-ending debt infomercial. Listen to me. Stop the spending, all right? It'll just ruin everything, okay? If my brother wasn't working two full-time jobs, he'd come here in person and tell you, stop spending. Debt infomercial? You're one to talk. Why don't you stop taking those payday loans? All right, son. If we could sum it all up for you in a nice little nutshell, it's just this. Do as we say. Not as we do. All right. Well, I'm going to go grab my lottery tickets. Oh, get mine too. You know, the one with the little diamonds on it. Oh, and then let's go to the casino.
I don't know if you should clap for that or not. <laughs> Listen, um, it starts at a young age for us, wanting to hold on to this money, wanting to hold on to all the things that we have. John Artberg said he uh, came in one day from a, a medical exam. He had a Band-Aid on his arm. His little six-year-old daughter said, well, what's the, with the Band-Aid? What happened, Daddy? Are you hurt? And he said, well, no, I just had a medical appointment. I had a checkup so that I could get life insurance. And she said, well, what's life insurance? He said, uh, well, that's just that in case something would happen to Daddy, nothing ever is going to happen to Daddy, but in case something would happen to Daddy, the family would get 200 $150,000. And he said her eyes got really wide and he said I knew she had a tender heart and she'd be worried. She looked up at me and said, a piece? <laughs> See, the Bible has a lot of great things to say about our finances. As a matter of fact, there are 2,000 verses in here about our finances. But according to a recent survey by the American Bible Society, most people don't listen to the Bible. Most people don't listen to the Bible about much of anything, but especially when it comes to finances. 86% of the people they surveyed did not trust the Bible's advice for finances, even though one-fourth of the people surveyed said they probably have more money in the bank right now if they follow the Bible's advice on finances. Okay, 50% of the people surveyed said they would take advice from Donald Trump when it came to finances, but only 32% said they would take advice from the Bible. Here's the scary part. One in ten Americans from age 18 to 34 said they would be more inclined to take financial advice from Kim Kardashian than they would from the Bible. I'm not making that up. That's just dumb. Can I say that? Jesus said more about money than any other topic he talked about. Out of 30 parables, 19 of them had to do with stewardship. 10% of his teaching was about finances, was about possessions, it was about how you handle your money. Why would you think Jesus would talk so much about that? Well, that can be summed up in one very simple little verse in Matthew 6.21. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. Treasure equals heart. Okay? Nobody's listening. Nobody wants to hear what Jesus has to say because we want to make Jesus say the things that we want him to say, not the things that he actually did say. Did you hear the story about this, uh, this painting in Spain that got redone by this lady? Okay, it's been all over the news. Okay, this is the painting that Elias Martinez made of Jesus in this church in Spain uh, over a hundred years ago. But after a hundred years, it ended up looking like this, kind of faded and all messed up. Well, they had a restoration fund going for the painting, but, but did, they just didn't quite have enough money yet. And one sweet little old lady decided that she'd had enough of it. She couldn't take Jesus, not looking good. So she broke into the church one night. She was 80-something years old, broke into the church, and decided to restore the painting herself. So it now looks like this. Yeah. Curious George. The little stuffed monkey you had when you were a kid. That's what a lot of people like to do to Jesus these days. I want to make him softer. I want to make him weirder. I want to make him more cartoon-like. But I like the Christmas Jesus. I don't care, okay? You pray to, you, you, you got to worship the real Jesus. Fortunately, the team of restoration experts sent to check it out said they think they'll be able to take care of it, okay? Because this lady used crayons and old lipstick to do her beautiful painting. So they think they can get it off. Hey, I got an idea. Why don't we just leave Jesus alone and listen to him, okay? Maybe that would just be the, let's just leave him alone and listen to him. But I like the monkey Jesus. I don't care. 
We worship the real Jesus here, and we're going to listen to what he has to say about the things that are going on in our lives, okay? Someone said the Bible's teaching about money could be summed up in three basic questions. Question number one is, how did you get it? Question number two is, what are you doing with it? Question number three is, what is it doing to you? Tim Sutherland did a great job starting us off last week talking about the first part. Where did it come from? How did it all happen? When he started to read from us, uh, when he read through us from uh, First Chronicles where David built the temple, or raised the funds for the temple, I should say, and got all the people together and they had this big cannonball thing and, and they raised all this money and, and they got to the, this, this point where they gathered the offering all together and David said, but who am I and who are my people that we could give anything to you? Everything we have has come from you and we give you only what you have already given us. Question number one is really pretty simple. Where do we get everything? It came from you. We're lucky that we could give you anything back because it all came from you, God. We acknowledge that. The cattle on a thousand hills, they're all yours. Everything came from you, okay? Question number one is pretty simple. Question number two, what are you doing with it and what is it doing to you are answered in an interesting story. If you've got your Bibles, we'll turn over to Luke chapter 18. It's a story about Jesus running into a rich young man, a rich young ruler, and it's a little dialogue between Jesus and this man, and I want to teach from this today to help us to understand those next two questions. What is it doing to you, and what are you doing with it? Um, this is a, probably a pretty important story. You just need to know this about Bible stories. If it's in more than one gospel, it means that more than one of the gospel writers thought it was really important. This one's in three out of the four gospels. So it was obviously a pretty important teachable moment for these disciples, for these people to write this down. Luke 18, 18. A certain ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus said. No one is good except God alone. Okay, you got to understand this right up front. I mean, this guy is using language that is pretty reverent, okay? You are good. Jesus said, no one's good except God alone. So are you acknowledging where I'm coming from? Then he said, well, you know how to get to heaven. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder, steal, give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. This man said, all, I've, all these I've kept since I was a boy. When Jesus said, heard this, he said, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And then come and follow me. And when he heard this, he became very sad because he was a man of great wealth. Now over the centuries, this man has been portrayed in some pretty bad ways. You know, I mean, he's this, he's this you know, selfish young Kardashian guy, I guess. You know, I mean, he's this, he's this guy that wants to spend his money on himself. I want to show you some positive qualities about this rich young man because I think there's some things that if we put him as the villain, then we can't relate to him. Let me show you how great this kid is, okay? Here's some of his positive qualities. One is he has a respect for Jesus. I've already mentioned the fact that he called him a good teacher. He went to Jesus and said, you're the good teacher. Tell me how I can have eternal life. The other thing is that when you look over into Mark's version of this story, which is in Mark chapter 10, it says, as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Remember, this guy is a rich young what? Ruler. Okay, this is a, not only is he rich, he's powerful. He's probably never bowed the knee to anybody before in his life. And he comes up to Jesus in a posture of humility, saying, Jesus, I want to know what it is that you can tell me about eternal life. And I'm submitting myself to you, and I'm calling you good teacher. I'm telling you that I believe that you are somebody who can give me the answer to this question. And the, the reason I like this guy is because uh, there's another person in Jesus' history that asked him the same question, and you find him in Luke chapter 10, and it's a lawyer. 
lawyer, no offense if you're a lawyer, who comes up to Jesus on one occasion, an expert in the law, stood up to test Jesus and asked him the same question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? But notice the difference. He stood up to test Jesus. A rich young ruler knelt down before Jesus and asked him this question. The lawyer was like, he stood up in a manner of pride and said, hey, you answer this question, and he was just testing him. The first quality is a quality of respect, humility. The second one is boldness. I mean, this is broad daylight. When this religious leader, this rich young ruler, comes to Jesus and asks him this question, Okay? There were other religious leaders that came to Jesus and started to follow Jesus, like Nicodemus. You've heard of him? Nicodemus was a guy who followed Jesus, was a great believer, but he came to Jesus, the Bible tells us, at night because he was concerned about the political fallout for his career and his friends and what they were going to say. So he came to Jesus at night. This guy didn't. This guy comes in, bows down in the middle of the day with boldness, with humility, and says, Jesus, tell me how I can find eternal life. Third thing I love about this guy is spiritual clarity. Spiritual clarity. He asked the right questions. There are a lot of people in the world today that are asking questions about spirituality, but they're asking the wrong questions. Have you ever been anywhere driving with your GPS on a new road that your GPS doesn't have in its maps yet? Okay, that's kind of the way I feel about the world right now. They're like searching and trying to figure out, but they're not asking the right questions. I was in Missouri last weekend. I was on a road that my two-year-old GPS didn't know, you know, and it's just, it's wigging out. It's like, oh, turn left. No, turn right. Oh, wait, you're in the lake. Should I call somebody? This is so, that's, that's, that's what the world is. I mean, I've got a hunger. I want to know where I'm going, but I don't know the right question. Hey, here's the right question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? That's your question. It's really pretty simple. Okay, I need directions to heaven. Program that into my GPS. That's the most important thing you need to know. I want to know how to make spiritual progress to get to the point where that's going to happen. So he asked the right question. Fourth thing is he was morally consistent. Okay, Jesus gave him the obvious answer. Please don't think that you get to heaven by following the commandments anymore. Jesus died on the cross so that we could be... I, I did a whole sermon on that a couple of Easter's ago. This is really important that you get this. Jesus wanted to test him by giving him the right answer from a Jewish standpoint. And the right answer from the Jewish standpoint before Jesus' death on the cross was obey the commandments. And what does this guy say? Yeah, I got that. I've kept them since I was a kid. Wow, could this guy run for president? Could you have a write-in ballot for rich young ruler? I mean, really, could, could you say that? I mean, if Jesus said, if you're looking Jesus in the face, on your knees, calling him good teacher, and Jesus says, well, you need to keep the commandments. Don't you think Jesus probably knows whether you kept the commandments or not? If Jesus has that discussion with me, I'm like, yeah, the bears are on today. You know, I mean, I'm changing the subject. I'm going to go do something else because I know I've broken most of the Ten Commandments. And so do you. This guy is so morally consistent that he's like, no, look, Jesus, I have seriously been trying to do this all of my life that's why I think it's interesting in Mark's version again where it says that Jesus looked at him and loved him I don't think that Jesus looked at him and loved him because he kept the commandments 
Jesus looks at you and he loves you whether you keep the commandments or not. But what Jesus really loves is when your heart is really sincere and really pure. You go back to Jesus today, come back to Jesus at communion today and say, okay, you know what? Uh, I haven't kept the commandments this week. I haven't kept the commandments lately. I've been pretty far away from you. Jesus is going to look at you and love you if you have a sincere heart. And this guy's heart was sincere. Jesus, I really want to know. I'm on my knees. I'm calling you God. I want to seriously know how to do this how to follow you that's what's important okay i want you to know that up front because if jesus is about to get in your business about money right now i just want you to know that he loves you apparently as good a person as this guy was he still knew there was something missing he was asking the right question, but he wasn't really prepared for the right answer because there was one part of his life that he was holding back from God. I think that's why he showed up in the first place. But let me have a little self-awareness test with you right now. What part of your life do you find most difficult to surrender to God? Just ponder that for a moment. For most of us, there's probably one thing that just immediately comes to our mind. Maybe you never thought about it before, but here's the thing that's really interesting. I see this guy as a guy who is sincerely with all his heart bowing down with all his heart and his mind and his soul bowing down to Jesus to worship him. There's only one part of his being that's not bowing down. It's like he's bowing down but his wallet is still standing up back in the back. You know? There's one thing. What is that one thing for you? Reminds me of a great classic story from from history, from Ivan the Great, who was the great Russian czar, the great Russian conqueror in the 15th century. He conquered most of Eastern Europe. He was just one of those Alexander the Great kind of guys that went around conquering everything and was one of those great leaders and everybody followed him. And he was so busy conquering things that he never had time for a wife or kids because he was out conquering something. And finally, as he was getting older, he realized he needed an heir to pass the throne on down to and, you know, his stuff on down to. So he told his people, hey, go get me a wife. You know, and that was all political back in those days. So the people went and they found the king of Greece had a daughter that was of marrying age. And they thought, this would make a nice union between Russia and, and Greece and we'll make this happen. And the king was like, I don't care. That's fine. They said, there's only one problem. Uh, if you're going to marry the king of Greece's daughter, you're going to have to become Greek Orthodox. He's like, I don't care, I'll become Greek Orthodox, whatever, as long as you think this is all great, okay? You start to just put my big fat Greek wedding into 15th century history, and you're going to get this, okay? And, and so they send the, I mean, the king of Greece is elated. I mean, what does this mean? This means he's not going to be conquered by Ivan the Great. This means he's going to be the father-in-law. This is awesome. So he sends these religious instructors to Greece to tutor Ivan and 500 of his top soldiers in how to become Greek Orthodox. And they go through all the lessons and all the things that they need to do. And finally, the 500 soldiers and Ivan and the entourage all comes from Russia to Greece to get ready for the wedding. And before the wedding, of course, to become Greek Orthodox, you have to be baptized. And they baptize by immersion. So this was a big deal. So imagine this, this moment in human history where there were literally 501 priests to baptize 500 of Ivan's soldiers and Ivan the Great in some body of water, wherever they all gathered together. And the, the soldiers all came in full regalia. They had all their armor on. They had, you know, their medals on. They were gonna, they were gonna get baptized, you know, and all their stuff. And they started to go down into the water and somebody goes, hey, wait a minute. Isn't, isn't there a problem here? Cause you can't be Greek Orthodox and be a warrior. You know, it's against Greek Orthodox tradition 
to kill people in war at that point. And they're like, oh, what are we going to do? So they had this little emergency elders meeting and they got everybody together and they're like, what are we going to do? And somebody came up with a great plan. And here was the great plan. As every one of the soldiers walked into the, wa- into the water with full armor on, they would pull out their sword and hold it high in the air and get baptized without their arm or their sword going under the water. I'm not making this up. It's a true story. It's what history calls the unbaptized arm. So if you get to heaven and you see these 500 dudes walking around with only one arm, you're going to know what it's all about, right? It's just a flesh wound, okay? What a great illustration. I wonder what we would like to stick up in the air and keep dry when we're coming to Jesus. I think for a lot of us it might be kind of like this, okay? Because it's possible to live your life in humility and submission to Jesus in every area but one. So let me take you back to that question. Let's not pick on money. What is the one area you're tempted to hold back? Maybe for you it's your habits. Maybe it's uh, your food habits or your substance habits or your sexual habits. And you say, well, Jesus, I appreciate what you have to say about sex or any of these things. But, you know, you don't know my deal. And that's 2,000 years ago. Jesus said, haven't you read that from the beginning the Creator made them male and female? For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. Well, I don't like that Jesus. I want the monkey Jesus. I don't care. This is what Jesus says, okay? How about time and energy? Some people hold back their time and energy. They say, you know what? I don't have time to serve people. I don't have time to serve the poor. I don't have time to serve in the church because I've got a busy family. We've got this busy schedule. We've got all these things going on. What would Jesus say to that? Anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Because if you find your life, you lose it. If you lose it, you find it. That's what Jesus would say. But I'd like the monkey Jesus. I don't care. This is what Jesus would say. Okay? How about comfort? Human beings love comfort. I I believe that the reason a lot of you... I mean, I know that finances are part of this, but I I believe the reason that a lot of you haven't tried to go and do some kind of a mission venture is because you're afraid of being uncomfortable. And I get that, you know. I mean, we had a meeting last night. We're going to take 100 people to Kenya, Africa. We had a meeting last night. It was awesome to see this room full of people that are going to go to Africa. And you know what? It's a long, stinking way to Africa. It's two long flights. That's why God made Ambien, okay? That's all I can tell you. (laughs) But listen to me, okay? You might need to get out of your comfort zone to serve God. Maybe that's what you're holding back. Maybe, you know, I don't want to go, I don't want to go do that. Listen, if you go on one of our mission trips, you're going to be in good accommodations. You're going to have good food. You're going to be safe. But you're going to be the person that comes back and goes, man, there's a lot more to life than staying comfortable. Because you're going to figure out that holding that one thing back, the unbaptized comfort in your life, is going to be the thing that you need to give over to God. Plus, you really need to be a part of a Kenyan worship service to realize what a bad dancer you really are. That's all I can say. (laughs) Another idea. 
Um, maybe you're a hair person, a hairstylist, or somebody, a beautician in some way. Uh, we're getting ready to do a bunch of Rafa House salons again. Rafa House Salon, is, Rafa House is an organization in Cambodia and other places that um, do uh, sex trafficking. They get sex trafficking girls off the street. They rescue girls that are caught in the sex slave trafficking industry. And uh, so, several of our girls, including a couple of my daughters, got really involved in this a couple of years ago. And they were having this problem. Here was the problem. It had to do with comfort. They were getting ready to go to homecoming and they were going to pay a lot of money to a hairstylist to get their hair all done and spend a lot of money on a dress and go to homecoming, go to the ball basically. And, and they were trying to figure out, they were trying to reconcile, how can I go to the ball while girls are being sold into sex slavery? This doesn't, this doesn't work. So they came up with this idea. How about we still go to the ball, we'll still go to homecoming, but we'll get some people to donate their services, do hair for free, we'll make our donations just like we were paying a salon, and we'll take that money and we'll give it to Rafa House. And they've been doing that for about four years now. And this year we're going to branch out and not just do the Lincoln Way School homecoming, we're going to do a whole lot of schools homecoming. But we need you. If you're, even if you're just a person who can do that stuff and you're not professional, we need your help. Uh, here's an email address you can write down Rafa House Salon at Gmail. Rafa House Salon at Gmail. Just write that down and, and email them and you'll be talking to my daughter Lauren. Just email them and tell them that you can do this and we want to get some people signed up and get ready to go. That'll get you out of your comfort zone. You might have to give up a Saturday so that you can go do something for somebody else. Maybe you'll lose a little money that you could have made doing hair for somebody else but that'll get you out of your comfort zone. What is the one thing that you're holding back? But the thing that our young friend was holding back, of course, was his money. You still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. And when he heard this, he became very sad because he was a man of great wealth. See, Jesus had this ability that we don't have to detect what a person's holdback position was. And he knew that whatever is holding you back is holding you down. And look at the reaction. The Bible says... He became very sad and walked away. Sadness won the day. Why, why, why not get mad at Jesus? Why not call Jesus names? Why not challenge Jesus and come up with another idea? I believe he, he walked away sad because he knew Jesus was right. So what about you? When you hear a sermon on money, does it make you sad? I mean, when you contrast walking away sad with, contrast, with the contrast of walking away happy... Which way do you want to go? Here's the happy person. It was a hunched over little lady that Jesus and the disciples saw come up to the temple to give her, give her offering. And all the people were giving their offering and the rich people were coming up and dumping bags of money in and blowing the trumpet saying, look how great I am. And this little old lady shuffled up to the offering thing that was in the side of the wall there and she put in two little pennies. And that was all she had. And Jesus saw a teachable moment. He called the disciples over and he said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow is given more than all the others. For they gave a tiny part of their surplus. But she, as poor as she is, has given everything that she had to live on. And it doesn't say it in the text, but I'm pretty sure she shuffled away really happy. You've got to decide which way you want to walk away. That's really the bottom line. I wanted to have some interviews with some people because I thought, you know, it'd be good for you to hear from somebody besides a preacher. And I thought, there's some great stories out of it. We've, Cannonball, we started a year ago. There's some great stories of some things that have happened in people's lives who sacrificed and, and did amazing things. And then God just opened up the floodgates as he promised that he would always do. 
But I thought, you know what? What I'd really rather you hear is for some people like the, the widow, actually a widow, and um, somebody who is on fixed, limited income who believes in giving because I think the testimony of happiness might come a little bit better from here. Let's listen. Okay, I'm here with Rose and Rich. Uh, a couple of my friends who I just wanted to interview about this whole idea with Cannonball because they are both people who are on limited incomes. And, uh, you know, I mean, I could sit here and interview some rich person like the rich young ruler and you'd be like, well, yeah, but they've got that. Um, the widow's might is a better testimony because Jesus said she gave out of, you know, everything that she had. Um, so, Rose, tell me a little bit about you and your, your situation. She said I could ask how old she was, so I'm going to ask how old she is. 83. 83, and you uh, are a widow at this I, point I've in your life? I've been a widow twice. Twice, okay. Twice. Um, living at home with your dog. You're not a cat lady. You're a dog person. Yeah, I'm so a dog this, person. This is good. Yeah. Okay, we're all on the right place. Um, and you regularly support Parkview. Tell me, out of your limited income, how do you do that? We did have an IRA. Yeah, you did. I, I said have. Did we have. did have. Yeah, past tense. Um, so you basically have Social Security and, that, yeah. and that's Social it. Social Security, that's it, everything else. But yeah. you, you believe in tithing, you believe in Yes, I started to tithe when I joined the church here, and I've tithed since. And but God's already, always taking care of you. Yeah, you know, it's like, as you put don't worry. Place. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Rich, tell me about your situation. How old are you? I am 38 years old. I'm on limited Social Security disability income, as well as I have a, a part-time job um, at Jewel Osco. When the cannonball started, you decided you wanted to do something specific, even though you have limited resources. Tell me about that. I was just praying about it, and God laid it on my heart. He goes, you know, you ought to get into that. And I'm like, but God, I don't really have a lot of money. Yeah. What am I, how, you know? Yeah. And, you know, I still prayed about it some more. I'd rather be all in on something and be a part of something rather than just coming to church and, oh, yeah, I go to church. What were you involved in there? Uh, nothing. Yeah. Just attending. So how does that make you both feel to be able to give back to God? It's increased a lot of stuff. God's blessed me with a lot of things to where I can actually feel I'm a member of the church mm -hmm. rather than just a person sitting in a seat. Love that. And... Uh, they, uh, God's blessed me by uh, increasing my hours at work. Yeah, you know, it worked out the last time, and I figured yeah, it'll work yeah. out well, this I, time, I, too. I, I like yeah. that. I have more the, than so many other people. Right, right. That what I can do to help them, it's not going to hurt me. It's yeah, gonna, yeah. You know, You're still going to eat. Oh, uh, yeah. But, but let's talk about that for a second, because you both sacrifice things for this. Uh, I mean, you know, I think it's one thing, you know, when, when the widow went up, and put her two mites in. Jesus said they gave out of their abundance, but she just gave everything that she had. There's a difference between, it's not about how much you have, it's about how much you sacrifice. Um, you guys are both, you've, you've sacrificed stuff. Different stuff that I wanted to go to, uh, like trips, or like, oh, I want to go take a trip here, I want to do that, okay, do I need to do this? Good. Or Good. would it be better served in this area? Yeah. How about you? Well, with me, uh, still having a, a house to have to take care of, that just about the time that you think you got a little bit of money, that finance goes out. Yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It kind of, we talk about that with our finances. You want God in charge of your finances. That's what the tithe is about. It's about trusting God with your yeah. finances. But it's more than that because if God could keep my dishwasher going a lot longer than I can, 
and you know my car and whatever else you know so yeah so I always want to invite him into a partnership with that what are some things you're excited about that Cannonball is going to allow this church to do what are some things that make you happy that we're going to grow and bring in more people and you know really reach out to the community that we're in or the communities that are surrounding us. You, you can be in heaven someday. Somebody's going to come up to you and say, Hey, Rich, thanks for giving up that whatever. Um, thanks for sacrificing. And because you did that, I found a place. And they may be in the, you know, Ecuador or Africa. We don't even know. Or they may be right here. Maybe yeah. somebody you help at Jewel. All right, so what are you excited about? Uh, the fact that you're going to have a chapel up there. Because one of these days, you may need that for me. I hope we don't need that for you very soon, Rose, but it could be for your third marriage. I'm just saying, she's available. No way. <laughs> no. <laughs> she's sitting right down here, if anybody's looking. She's right down here. Um, we put this diving board up a year ago because we wanted to talk about all in and making waves. We're going to do a cannonball. In case you don't get all that, understand the terminology, you jump in to do a cannonball, you grab your legs, you lean back a little bit, and you try to make a big splash. And that's what we're doing. We're trying to make a big splash. And not only that, but make waves, make ripples that go very, very far out. And our hope is that through this cannonball process, which we basically tried to double our giving over the next two years, we hope that through this campaign and through what we're doing, Doing, that we're not raising funds, we're building faith. But what's going to happen through this, and I've got brochures for you if you're new and you didn't get one of these, uh, I would love to explain it to you a little bit more. We've got them for you on the way out. There's a packet of information. Uh, the things that have gotten done already in the past uh, basically 10 months since we started this capital campaign, um, we've had a trip to Cancun. We put $50,000 in, a, and that trip to Cancun was to start a church. I know that sounds wrong, but we started a church in Cancun. We're working on that. You're like, oh, that's great. I raised money for a pastor to go to Cancun. I didn't go to Cancun. We sent a team and they planted a church. We, uh, we put $50,000 together in an adoption fund so that people could borrow money to adopt kids because we're pro-life and we believe that you can't just be pro-life and not do something about helping with the people that are going to do something about it. So we have an adoption fund. Thank you for that. Um, at our Lockport campus, we started a third service on Saturday night, which is going really, really well. They're going to have some new staffing upgrades that are going to do because of Cannonball. They're getting ready to have the HD that we've done here, and we did the HD here so that we're ready for Richie Del Prior's campus that's going to be somewhere in Tinley and Palos, hopefully within the next year. That's going to start over there, and having the HD made it easier for us to be able to be ready to have more campuses. We want to have at least five campuses by 2020. That's a part of our vision and what we're doing. We've done Pack the Pan. We did another trip to Mexico to Piedras Negras to the orphanage that we work on down there. We've done a trip to Indonesia. We fully funded for $80,000. We fully funded a church and a school in a village in Ecuador and our people sponsored 250 kids from that village. We basically are going to blow up this village. It's awesome. Hasn't been, hasn't started yet, but it'll be starting very soon, and I'm very, gonna be very excited to tell you all about all that. We did a CMF and Compassion International child sponsorships and did about another uh, 500 kids sponsored that one weekend. We've had teen trips to the Czech Republic and Joplin and other places. Our, our campus at Lockport did the Fairmont School Redual. Uh, we did pack the backpack for them. We've got new chairs in the worship service, not because we wanted you to be more comfortable, but because we can get 200 more people 
in here because we put these new chairs in. We're about to break ground on Rose's Chapel over here and the foyer. It's going to be a foyer and the Rose Chapel. I think we're just going to call it that, Rose. I like that. Yeah, the Rose Chapel. <laughs> Which will be uh, breaking. We were hoping to break ground September 1st. You know how things go. We're working on it. It's going to happen very soon. I want to show you what we did in the basement because most of you don't know this. Our children's ministry has grown so much that we had to get the kids out of, we had to split up the kids somehow because we have a thousand kids, fifth grade and under, that worship with us every weekend. So we moved the fifth and sixth grade, the fourth and fifth graders down to, to the basement over here, which we call the alley. Here's what it looks like over there now. Check that out. Is that awesome? So now the fourth and fifth graders have their own space. It's kind of almost like teenage looking, you know. I mean, it's kind of the ready to go into the underground here for the junior, senior high. There's all kinds of stuff that's going on and more stuff that's going to go on. It's very, very exciting. But you know what? Our vision is always going to outpace our resources. Or it's always going to be way more things we can do for the, for the kingdom of God than we could possibly ever have the money for. So we're constantly going to be raising funds to be able to do that. Our cannonball goal was $27 million over two years. Uh, we're about, like I said, 10 months in. We're just a little bit short of $9 million so far. That means over the next 16 months, we're going to need to have some stellar uh, time of being able to be generous to be able to reach our goal. And that's why we need you to grow in your generosity. We need you to let go of that wall, let it get baptized, let God do some things for you. Okay, so I know that a lot of you are already on board. I just want to encourage you for those of you who have been doing it like myself to keep up and, and keep on the cannonball. And for those of you who weren't with us last year, this is going to be an opportunity for you to do something. Let me say something to those of you who are new to Parkview and you don't even know if you believe in, in Parkview yet. And you're like, man, they had a cross dresser today. I don't know if that's my church or not, but hey, it's okay. All right. I, even if Parkview is not your deal, I want you to give to something because because your treasure equals your heart, okay? So go find something to give to. I don't care what it is. But if you're part of part, if you pull out this cannonball card, I just want you to see it. You're not going to fill anything out today. We're going to do this next week. But I want to encourage you to do two things, okay? Here's the commitment card. It's in the chair back in front of you. Just take a look at it. The first, uh, the first place for you is, this is my first commitment to Cannonball. Maybe you were here a year ago and you just didn't get into it for whatever reason and you're ready to, to talk about it. Maybe you weren't here a year ago and you're like, I believe in this place. Like Richard said, I want to be a member of this place. I want to be a part of this place. I want my money to make a difference. So you circle that first one and you put your commitment over the next 16 months in that box. Okay, It's really that simple. And remember, this is not an over and above program. This is just like any Anything I'm planning on giving over the next 16 months. This is the operational budget, the mission budget, the expansion budget, everything rolled into one. Option number one is I'm a new person. Option number two, I'm going to encourage you with this. If you're like me and a lot of you who already made a commitment to Cannonball, then put the number down again, you know? I just had a guy come to me and say, hey, we've been married for a certain amount of time. Can we do a vow renewal? And we're like, yeah, we'd love to do that. You know what? This would be a vow renewal for you next weekend. Come ready to put your number back down again. And maybe maybe things have happened in your life and, and, and things are really, you know, went the wrong direction for you right now. You need to change that number down. Hey, God bless you. And we're praying for you. Maybe... God's been a real blessing to you and you're on the other side of that and you could make that number bigger to help make up for the things that we need to be able to do to get the projects done that are, are looming in front of us. Maybe God's challenging you to put a new number down. I, I want to encourage you with that. And, and I want to encourage you next weekend to be ready to make a big offering, okay? 
I, I'm behind. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm behind on mine. Had this little wedding thing happen, you know, that I wasn't planning on. And, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm just behind. So, I, and I'm not going to be able to make it all up next weekend, but I'm going to come, I'm going to come next weekend with an extra gift. And I want to do, I want you all to do that, whether you're in on it or not. I want you to just come next weekend because it's the 10th anniversary of us being on this site in Orland. It's kind of a big deal for us. So I want you to be ready to come next weekend with a big offering and do something crazy. Okay. Let's see if we can make the biggest offering we've ever done. Um, what I really want to encourage you to do is to come up with a plan to do some intentional giving. Paul told the church in the very beginning on the first day of the week, every one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income. That's the whole tithing idea. You bring 10% back to God. You should set aside a, 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 a percentage, whatever it is for you, in keeping with your income. Or you can do it online like I do, which makes it very simple and I don't have to think about it. There's ways for you to do that. We can help you with that. What I really want to encourage you to do, whether you're scared, whatever fear is going on in your life, I want you to, I know that being on the edge of the diving board is a scary thing. And maybe you haven't given much before ever in your life. When you're getting right here, it's really scary. When you hit the water and you make a big splash and you get out and you look at all the girls that are wet on their towels over on the side, you go, yeah, that was awesome. And I want to do it again. I promise you that is a better way to walk away than to walk away sad. It's a much, much better way. And Jesus said, again, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I just want to ask you to pray and think for this next week. What does treasure equal heart mean to you? What, what does that little equation mean to you, and how's that working? Bob Russell's been a guest speaker at uh, Parkview many times. He's a leader of one of the largest churches in the country in Louisville back in his day. And uh, he told a great illustration. I've, I did a whole sermon off of it one time, but I love the illustration of playing Monopoly with his family one day. And he said, it was just my day. I had Illinois Avenue. I had Indiana Avenue. I had Park Place. I had Boardwalk. I just was, you know, everything was just rolling my way, and I was killing it. But my family was hanging on for dear life. He said, it was like 1 o'clock in the morning when my family finally all went bankrupt. He said, they got up from the table with no word of congratulations and headed for bed. And I said, wait a minute, somebody's got to put this game up. And they said, that's your prize for winning, Dad. <laughs> and they all turned around and went to bed. He said, I sat there alone and I had this moment. All my property, all my money, I realized it doesn't really mean anything anymore. And I put it back in the box. He said, I realized, you know, at some point, it all goes back in the box, right? Everything that you have, except for the treasures that you've laid up in heaven, everything goes back in the box. As a matter of fact, you're going to go back in the box. The only thing that's going to matter for eternity are the people that you make of heaven available for and the treasure that you send ahead of you. I want to encourage you as you think and pray over the next week and as we get ready to launch into the story and this big new season that God is bringing to us, don't walk away from Jesus sad. It's time to let go.
As we uh, turn to communion, I just want to encourage you to do that. It's time to let go. One of the great Christians of our era passed away a little over a week ago, a man who walked on the moon for the very first time, Neil Armstrong. You probably didn't know a lot about his Christian faith, but I was just reading about him, and I thought, what what a great thing to think about at communion time. Do you know that the very first meal they had on, on, on the moon was communion? Now, it wasn't publicly acknowledged because the ACLU and some lawsuits that were going on. The very, very first thing that happened when they landed on the moon is Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin said, we'd like to have a moment of silence. And the cameras went dead and everybody didn't know what was going on. They pulled out communion and shared communion on the moon. It was the very first thing they did. Because they were letting go of everything else and the most important thing was to understand that Jesus is Lord over all, including the moon. Another great story I heard about him was when he went to the Holy Land, which, by the way, we're going to, I'm going to be leading a trip next Memorial Day to the Holy Land. Uh, he, he went to the Holy Land and he walked on some places where you can know that you're walking basically on the same path that Jesus was. You don't know what steps he took, but you know that you're walking on the steps of Jesus. And when he got to that point, he asked the guide, is this where Jesus would have walked? And the guide said, 100% sure he had to. This, these were the steps that he had to have taken. He said, he, the, the guide said he had a moment of silence and he had a little prayer time and he looked up and after he was done and he said means more to me to walk in the steps of Jesus than it ever did to walk on the face of the moon I hope that you can say that I hope that I can say that I hope that I can walk away with that kind of commitment that kind of faith that the really the only thing that really really matters in my life is the fact that Jesus is my Lord and my Savior let's pray God, I just want to ask you to be with us as we commune right now, that we will uh, uh, be able to just have a moment with you. Can't imagine what it would have been like to do it on the moon, but Lord, we're here, and you you said where two or three are gathered, whether they're on the face of the moon or the corner of Wolf Road and Orland Parkway, I don't know. It's um, It's just about you being here, and we acknowledge that you are here, that you are in our place, in this place, in our midst. I want to acknowledge that you are the Lord of my life and that I'm saved because of you, not because I give, not because I work, not because I serve, not because of anything that I do. I'm saved because of you, not because of following the commandments anymore because that code was nailed to the cross. I'm saved because you gave your body and you gave your blood. And I acknowledge that, but at the same time, I can't walk away and not realize that you've asked me to make the same sacrifice. Be with us. Help us to walk away happy today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.